Welcome to Reach, your platform to connect with other executive assistants and acquire game-changing knowledge and perspective. Reach is designed to inspire your workday, guide you through pivotal moments in your career, and transform you into the executive assistant you've always wanted to be. Hi, everyone. I think we are officially live. Uh, welcome to our first Reach Roundtable live stream of 2022. I'm Jessica Van, founder and CEO of Maven Recruiting Group. I'm also the host of Reach, a podcast for executive assistants. And we're really glad to have you all here. Thank you for joining us. If you're new to this quarterly series of hours, it's really meant to be off the cuff, informal, um, and it's really meant to delve into topics that we feel are most relevant and timely for the executive assistant community. So our goal here is to talk about what you want to know about. So as always, please share your thoughts, your suggestions, your questions, join us in the chat below um, or write in separately. We welcome all of your ideas and input. Today we're talking about the uh, hot, hot, hot topic of 2020, 2021, and presumably still 2022, which is uh, the Great Resignation, also known as the Big Quit, that came out of spring 2021, when roughly 33 million Americans voluntarily resigned from their jobs. And from my perspective as the founder of Maven Recruiting Group and someone who's running an employment agency in this market, um, it's definitely something that has impacted the executive assistant career as well. But before we get started with that, I want to, or I have to assume that many of you are here with us today because you value learning and development and are looking to continuously improve and up level on, uh, on what you, what you do and what you know. And in that vein, I'd like to just make everyone aware of the e-learning course and coaching program for strategic executive assistants that Maven Recruiting Group recently launched. Uh, the first course in our series is called Becoming a Chief of Staff. I wanted to share a quick review from one of the course attendees. Um, she writes in, great course. The videos were very informative. I found the case studies to be the most helpful part of the course because it made me consider scenarios I haven't been in yet but might be in soon. I now feel better prepared to think through challenges that could arise in my current position as an EA and my future role as a chief of staff. Thank you. So I just wanted to mention before we get started that we have a few slots remaining in our spring group coaching cohort, which starts April 14th. So you still have time to join if you're interested get your company to pay from their L&D budgets if you have one. Um, and we have all of those links posted in the comments section below. So welcome back our round tablers. We have Miss Kristen Beatham. Hello. <laughs> Kristen is an executive personal assistant to the founder and CEO of a technology company known as Blackboard Technologies. So mysterious. It is mysterious. Uh, it is mysterious and it's in <laughs> stealth mode. So the mystery shall remain. Yes. Um, great to have you here. We've got Lo Pelusi. Hey Lo, how are you? Great, thank Good you. Good to see you. Uh, Lo is an executive assistant at Instacart. We've got LJ Cohen. Welcome, LJ. Hi, thank you. Hi. And LJ is an executive assistant to the partners of Uncork Capital. And last but most certainly never least is the lovely Ro Hoffer. Hey, Ro. Senior Greetings, executive everybody. assistant to the CEO, <laughs> C, uh, senior EA to the CEO, co-founder of Mozilla, and lead, e, lead of their EA cohort. So... To get us going low, we're gonna we're gonna hit you with the doozy, Yay. which is, <laughs> what are your thoughts on the great resignation? And I think specifically, we'd like to know, in your viewpoint, what was kind of the the catalyst or ignition switch that kicked off this movement? Well, you know, I think one thing that came out of COVID, especially in my perspective, was. Um, 
how much time I'm putting into things and my value. And I think, you know, sometimes when you're working for a large organization, you can be in a scenario where you're giving, 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 and you're not really recharging the battery or refilling the tank. And I think not being around maybe friends and family as much as well, it really puts you in a situation where you need to sit with yourself and decide like, is this like really what I want to be spending my time doing? Is this where I want to be utilizing all my resources and giving it to like this big organization, this big functioning machine where you're such a tiny piece of it, even though your job could be so integral and so core to the existence of the company. Um, at the end of the day, you have to do a self audit and just decide, is this really what I'm supposed to be doing with my time? And so I think, a lot of my friends that were, you know, not in corporate America, but in like the hospitality industry, I was looking at them not going back into restaurants because of, you know, the instability that was there and like wanting to move into corporate jobs. And then I had friends that were in these corporate roles that were like, wow, like I'm working 80 hours a week, not getting paid hourly. Like maybe I need to do a reevaluation of like where I'm spending my time and putting that back into the, into yourself. So um, I've spent a ton of time working on working on that personal development and trying to understand what it is that I want to do, not only for like um, myself professionally, but also like what kind of impact am I leading in my day to day life? You know, with the people that I'm engaging with, I'm remote. So with the neighbors in my building, with, um, you know, the male people, the cleaning like people, just like making sure that like I'm exuding the best version of myself all at all times. And so that may require me being out of a cutthroat industry. And unfortunately, mm -hmm. tech is very cutthroat. And sometimes, you know, in order for one group to succeed, we have to take away from another, which doesn't always, you know, doesn't equal equality. And it isn't always the best scenario for a lot of groups. So it's really about being selfish and being like, am I, is it worth my time and energy to be putting it into something where it may not be resulting in the expectations that I have for not only my personal development, but also like my earning potential, my networking, like looking at everything. So that's how I feel. I'm always in self audit, you guys. I'm sure you've seen it. I'm like, have we done the audit yet? Absolutely. Yep, yep, self check mode. And when things go wrong, we have to restart, right? Yes, yes. Mm -hmm. restart, reset, shut down and restart. So it sounds like, the catalyst in your view was really COVID and kind of the, this sort of great, um, the the moment of reflection and pause that, if, that it afforded many people. And, and I think that that was, uh, you know, to an extent, a universal thing that happened, like this sort of universal taking stock. Um, I guess my question would be, though, and, and this is a question for anyone, really, is do we think that this is something that is going to be an ongoing um, reevaluation, or do we think that it was something that happened more in isolation and it was catalyzed by the pandemic? Um, or is this truly a permanent reordering of how we as a society reorder our, our principles and values? I think it's hard to put that genie back in the bottle. <laughs> Honestly, and the interesting thing for me was, um, and we had this conversation back before the pandemic with my first um, podcast was our mm -hmm. kind of me blowing up my life and going remote and making some huge life changes were for a lot of the reasons that Lo just expressed. And to see the things that have come out of it, the growth that has come out of it because of that upheaval and as Lo said, the audit really resonates with me with how much that's become universal over the last two years mm -hmm. because it, it it just it was scary but then it ended up feeling right and getting to the right place um and so i think now that so many people have experienced what that can be mm -hmm. um hopefully for the positive uh, mm -hmm. it's really it, it really just feeds more self-reflection and mm -hmm. introspection um, ahead, I think now we have um, we have metrics actually to look back on. We have stories that we can look to now where companies that have had to like make adjustments because they've had such high attrition rates. They've had to make adjustments on how they treat their employees. But then we also have like a litany of 
of stories that we've heard from our friends and coworkers and family members of where they did take a, a great leap to change their lives and to make it better or to find, you know, it might take a couple of, of rounds of practice, but to find what really truly works for them and their families and their and their lifestyle. So we now have these stories that we can look to as proof of what our perfect life um, or perfect job or, or at least somewhat perfect job might look like, um, which I think is great. So I don't think we could possibly go back because we have all of this great information that we can look to um, to keep us moving forward. And a lot of that information is productivity data, mm-hmm. right? I mean, I'll just speak for, for myself as a, as a, a CEO and as, as a company owner, um, we've never been more successful. Mm-hmm. And that's functioning in a, you know, 95% remote, remote um, capacity, right? So we do have kind of intermittent times that we'll get together as a group. And, um, you know, we're, we're doing kind of more um, quarterly get togethers and things of that nature. But for the, for the majority, people are remote. Mm-hmm. So I think that that's something very significant. So question for LJ. Who do you think are the people who have um, resigned, so to speak? And, and also, we should probably clarify, not everybody resigned and left the workforce. There are some that resigned and left the workforce and have you know, made a completely different transition to a different lifestyle. There's also those who resigned and got reabsorbed into the workforce and are doing different things or working for different companies or took on different roles. So... I'm curious, though, you know, in your view, who who are these people? And do you think that these are, you know, just privileged people who are looking to um, maximize and cash in on what is a very, very hot employment market? Or are these people, um, you know, really seeking a different way of life and a different existence? Um, Curious kind of if you could weigh in on that. Absolutely. Oh, actually, to Kristen's point, we have a lot of data now. And um, it's interesting because I was doing some research into that specific question of what we knew in 2020, what we knew when we started to see this was a trend and actually not going away in 2021. And then the end of 21, the metrics were completely different to answer that question of who is resigning? Why are they resigning? And there were a lot of theories, a lot of different things along those lines. And it's fascinating because um, if you read the Harvard Business Review from September 2021, and mm-hmm. then the article that came out just today from the Harvard Business Review, it just has more data. And so it seems to be that the conclusion to that is, uh, number one, as Lo said, uh, leisure and hospitality, um, mm-hmm. food services, uh, surprisingly a lot of hourly workers um, who it seems got fed up with mm-hmm. conditions, with uncertainty and wanted to make a change. Also, there was a huge pressure specifically on the the female workforce with children that they need to stay home, they need to be caregivers. The amount of caregiving facilities and resources is actually the same pre-pandemic. And so that, that just indicates you like working from home with the kids running around in the background, not everybody is as supportive of that as mm-hmm. we now seem. It's the new normal and we see it all the time that is a privilege to get to say, oh yeah, sorry, my nanny, let him come in the room, big deal. Nope, nope, I'm the one taking care of him full time and I'm at home and I'm running a company. And it's it's a big, I think, consideration for a lot of people who did leave the workforce. And as you said, that resignation um, and then reabsorption, I think it came with a lot of that self introspection. Um, But the most interesting thing that I found with all the research was the age range that Mm. this affected, because normally a high turnover rate is, it's normally with um, people who are new to the industry, they're kind of finding their feet, they 20 to 29, I think is the range. Uh, It's their first job, second job, they still haven't figured out who they are yet. During the last two years, that age range has between uh, 30 and 45 years. That's who changed job. That's mm-hmm. who had a massive, what am I doing with life? Where am I spending my time? Who am I spending my time with? Am I happy with my life? So mm-hmm. it almost was kind of like this huge view into a midlife crisis that we all had together. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it ending up being a catalyst for change that we could all share these stories together. We can all go through this together. And honestly, 
take advantage, as you said, of a hot, really, you know, great job market. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, so well said. And I, I really appreciate all the different inputs. Also, did anyone else notice how she just casually inserted the Harvard Business Review <laughs> into her into her daily vernacular. I was just thumbing through the Harvard Business Review the other day, but um, oh, so good, so good, <laughs> so good. Yeah, um, so well said. I, I I really I agree with so much of what you said um, uh, of of just this really ushering in a period of of mass self reflection, mm-hmm. um, and you know leave it to a pandemic to 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 provide something like uh, that opportunity. Anybody else have some, any thoughts on that, on that um, topic? Yeah. I just, oh, sorry, you go ahead. No, Kristen, you go first. Okay. I just wanted to say, it's like, I just absolutely agree with everything that LJ said. Um, I had written some notes down about like my personal thoughts of like where, you know, just to kind of, when we're you know, bringing up this topic of like where I was a couple of years ago and what happened and how I changed things in my life. And it was like, we collectively like saw our life pass in front of our eyes and met, had that moment of like, okay, if I, if it's, this is my last meal, <laughs> what do I want that meal to be? And obviously right. it's not chicken, but it's like, <laughs> I had that moment of like, who do I want to be close to me? Who are the people that I love? Like, how do I want to be, you know, at like, with a, like low, just being like, how do I want to bring present my best self to everyone? And the job was like, for a lot of people, it was like, that was one of the first things to go, um, you know, is just like, does this really make me happy? Is this like benefiting my life? Or is it taking away from the things that are truly important to me? Um, and yeah, I just I think we watched just all of us went through it at the same time, which is like, you know, pretty amazing when you think about it. It's like this collective change of of outlook and energy so yeah I think in my in my in my view there's less of a willingness or tolerance on the part of mm-hmm. um certain certain professionals and I obviously we deal mostly with the subset of professionals that are executive assistants right or, or people in that kind of a vein but I just feel like there's less of a willingness to tolerate um, situations or environments or people or executives or financial circumstances, whatever it may be, that doesn't um, align to what they mm-hmm. to what they truly want. And I, I think that people are just they've just kind of gone through this recalculation and, and reordering and, and decided that they don't they don't want it anymore. And and I think the flip side of that is that they don't have to because mm-hmm. you have sort of this collective. Um, you know, epiphany happening. And then you also have this incredible demand um, for talent. And so the fact that you have all these people over here saying, hey, you know, like we have options, we have options, people have options and and they're taking advantage of that. It also forces companies to really put their best foot forward. And, um, you know, we all work at big companies, so you know, we all understand what it means to work in like corporate America or at a VC in tech. And it's like, you already thought life was good, right? And then this happened and it was like, oh, recruiters started reaching out to you and you started seeing like, oh, wow, like salaries jumped about like, you know, 40K of what I'm making. And I thought I was making good money. You know what I mean? So it's like Mm -hmm. that also, I like to think of it as like the great reshuffle because Mm -hmm. I don't know many people that are EAs that resign they just kind of, what are my non-negotiables? Mm-hmm. And like, is it being met in my current job? And if not, how, like, you know, you're getting pinged by recruiters 24 mm-hmm. seven, like online. And so it's like taking those conversations, building those relationships with people, making sure they know, like, you know, they understand what it is that you want. And then, you know, continuing to maintain those relationships so that when that right opportunity does come, you know, it's the, comp that you're looking for it's the vibe the work relations that you're looking for so continuing just to like be always in the even if you're happy somewhere like i'm happy at my job but that doesn't mean that i don't take away from like knowing what else is going on in the industry because right really important i i agree with you though like i i don't know of a lot of eas that that left the workforce but i do know of a ton of eas who have secured or renegotiated terms with either their existing employer or a new employer, whereby 
they can fulfill the, the lifestyle that they've always wanted to have. So I, I can think of several people that are now living in Hawaii and supporting a CEO um, in, in, you know, in mainstream tech or in a startup. And, uh, you know, it used to be that if you wanted to live in Hawaii, it was like your options were hospitality or, you know, selling coconuts on the side of the road and banana bread, which is, you know. <laughs> Hey, low key, like not a bad thing, but not a bad thing. <laughs> That's big a dream owl, too, <laughs> right? It's also a dream. So it's, I mean, just this, just this massive kind of proliferation of opportunity and and being able to um, assert your own terms is is really kind of this incredible awakening. That's actually a really valid point because I did my search before the pandemic, and that was something. I mean, we had this conversation where. Um, back then I knew I needed to be remote. I wasn't going to find what I wanted in Reno, Nevada. I wasn't going to find the tech scene that I wanted. And the conversation went like this over and over again. I'm sorry, you just can't do this job from home. It's not possible. You got, you can't. And I actually interviewed for two 100% remote companies. And both of them said, yes, everybody's remote, but you. Yeah. You're going to have to travel. You're going to have to go into our remote yeah. offices. You're going to have to do all this. So yeah, they get it, but not the executive assistant. Um, and that was, that was really, you know, heartbreaking because I, I knew as we've seen, I'm like, I know my productivity will go up. I know mm -hmm. I'll be able to do more if I'm not commuting two hours a day. I right. know this about myself. I know I have the drive and now we have two years to prove yeah. his child can be done from anywhere. It depends on the person. It depends on the match. It depends on you knowing what your skill set is and making sure that you're in the right job that wants that from you. Yes. Yeah. yeah. No, and I give you a ton of credit, LJ, because I, I feel like you, you were kind of like the, the, uh, the original, you know, you pioneer. <laughs> yeah. I mean, really, you, you were doing this um, years ago and, and you had reached that, that point in, of your own epiphany and, 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 you know, how you wanted to show up in your life and, your, and for your family. And, and you did have a, God, I mean, it was a much harder, much, 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 much harder campaign because you really were, you were campaigning. Mm -hmm. And um, now it's it's just so incredibly different. Um, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Ro, are you are you um, is your is your sound in sync? Do we know? Because my next question is for you. I'm coming for you. Well, let's test it out. Oh, there you are. Okay, Yay. great, great. So. <laughs> What I feel what like I missed of, half of the party. I don't know what was what was the conversation. No, <laughs> no, that's okay. That's okay. Uh, we're still talking about the Great Resignation, so you <laughs> you haven't missed too much. So I'm curious about who do you think are the people that are or were most vulnerable to the Great Resignation? So, from the way I saw it, and this is not to sound callous or self-absorbed, we, during the first year of the pandemic, we all knew someone who didn't go to the salon to cut their hair. It's all the hospitality airlines. We canceled trips. We canceled vacations, business trips. We canceled haircuts. We canceled socials. So a lot of the people affected by the great resignation in the beginning was forced to resign because there were no services that would offer. But there's also this part that we all became very self-aware of. It's the reshifting. We all, all reshifted to live our lives. And, and we were talking about the flexibility that, that we all wanted to have. A lot of the folks who had to either leave jobs or reconsider not given options so it wasn't as if they had to resign and as you said move off to Hawaii and shed eyes it was a no choice kind of thing schools became zoom schools so out of parents is it worth is it worth me working versus the home to make sure my child or whoever I care am caring for to exist and thrive even in this very unfortunate situation. So to me, it's a matter of, well, 
who were affected, it's hard to say. We all know about someone, a service industry that was so greatly affected. But when you peel back all the layers, the, the people to survive and thrive, that was vast and pretty wide. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, I, I think to 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 your point, Ro, and to also what Lo said earlier. I mean, there there were some people that just um, had no choice but to reinvent because they literally saw their entire vocation uh, and area of expertise dissolved. And um, and we're the lucky ones, you know. We we just came back um, uh, from a company um, offsite and we were in Mexico and we were on a tour and um, our tour guides were talking about their experiences and, um, and and he was kind of laughing he's like unemployment he's like what unemployment he's like we got nothing nothing not a, not a penny um, in terms of support programs or um, any kind of safety net and it's not as though you know the the pandemic um, recognized, uh, international borders or lines, it was a it was a global impact, right? I mean, it, universally, people's people's careers and livelihoods were put on hiatus, and not everybody got those types of opportunities. He did mention that they that they received bean like a, a, a an allotment of beans and rice. I think was the extent of what they received in terms of assistance. So, yeah, I mean, a lot of people had to reinvent. Um, I also think too that. The vulnerable people are the ones that we kind of talked about, like the ones who maybe weren't um, as fulfilled or um, really in a situation that they thought served them the best as it could. And I think those are the people that um, were, were easiest to kind of pick off, right, in terms of making these changes. Jessica, there Speaking are people that- also... Okay. There are people who also thought about whether they were valued at work. So a lot of people who left felt they were not seen and they were not valued. And toxic work cultures and environments became such a prominent part of the reassessment of how do I want to live either the next year or the next decade. And there's a lot of shifting in our seats as far as what we wanted to see out of our employers and out of the company cultures that we belong to. So a lot of people didn't resign to stop working. So I want to say it just became a revolution of reassessment. I think we also forget the terror and the constant uncertainty of those first couple of months where I have a couple very close friends and colleagues that are executive assistants, receptionists, admins, that they stayed in very bad situations because they were terrified that things were going to move out from underneath them. Mm-hmm. Um, so much shifting, so many things were going on. So it was almost this buildup to when it seemed like, I think we might survive this. Mm-hmm. Now what? And now what do I do? And I still have all these things that have changed in my life. And I think it was that build up that I think for a lot of people that I know personally, it made mm-hmm. um, it prompted them to make that change because it mm-hmm. just, as Kristen said, what do you want for your last meal? Because mm-hmm. it became more real than it ever had for for many of us. Yeah. Yeah, and like there was also like you know I work at Instacart. Like Instacart during the pandemic, it like wasn't the worst. Well, it depends. We had jobs, yes. were we working a lot? Yeah. <laughs> so it's like, depends what kind of sector you were in, in the pandemic. Like if you were Amazon and you were giving people their packages and everyone was ordering off of Amazon, like, you know, it was like seen as a, oh, you have a glorified golden job. But it's like, actually, we're like working really crazy hours, level of pressures really high. People are exhausted, you know. So even if you're in that situation where you're in a role that like, you know, where it's doing well because of the pandemic, it was still, there was added pressure. Plus, Mm -hmm. you know, a lot of these companies like Zoom, I'm gonna say Peloton, you know, you did this huge ramp up of hiring, right? Because we're like, how long we're gonna be in this? We need to make bikes. We need to like get people on, like we need to market our product, right? And now we're at this part where like all these businesses are kind of tapering off, you know, like if you like look at Peloton stock, like it was like 120 something. Mm 
down like a hundred bucks, right? So it's like now all these companies are having to like reassess and like lay people off because of like, you know, just not knowing where the business was gonna go because of this was like the first time for many of us that or for everyone probably alive that we've ever experienced mm -hmm. this kind of like mm -hmm. pandemic, you know? So no matter what you went through, like if you can self-reflect and be like, at least I learned this and mm -hmm. I will never allow myself to be in this position again. Like whether it's a person that was in like a not great working situation or you just really didn't love your job and didn't think the company values like aligned with yours. Like, I feel like this is still the time to look at your non-negotiables and decide because especially in our, our world, there are tons of opportunities out there and people yeah. like quality executive assistants, like, you know, it, 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 they're not a dime a dozen. Okay. Like there, there's so much work and prep and like personality that goes into this relationship. And then you think of all the different people on a team that you have to work with. So it's really a, a career that you can get into where if you do like, okay, this has filled my fix. This is like, you know, I've done as much as I can here, like dream bigger, what's next for me and start putting that out there talking to people and getting yourself into the next thing. So this job really allows you to do that. Yeah. I think yeah. Sorry, go ahead. Oh, sorry, sorry. I've been inter I apologize. I've been interrupting everybody all day. I'm so sorry. <laughs> sorry about it, guys. Um, but one of the things that I like, and I, I'm luckily, I've been surrounded by fantastic people for the past few years, but I know to, to LJ's point, there are, some people that dealt with some very difficult situations. And a lot of that comes from that everybody was under an intense amount of stress. Mm -hmm. And I feel like bad behavior or good behavior is heightened. So like the not so nice got not nicer and mm -hmm. the kind people got kinder. And like, there's a lot of things that honestly, like anecdotally that I've heard from friends that things were said or done that they, people just can't take back. And so they moved on from things and hopefully everybody learned from it. Um, and we've all learned how to handle stress differently, but I, a lot of just human nature was heightened over the past couple of years. And sometimes, you know, the best way to create change is to be better somewhere else. <laughs> um, so, yeah. And I'll add yeah. to that, Kristen. So you said people who are nice became nicer. People who are not nice became even less nice. Yeah. Let's also look at companies and work cultures or groups of people that actually broke the trend of just going status quo because there were mm -hmm. many productive companies yeah. who improved on yeah. the quality mm -hmm. of the employee's experience, the job satisfaction that went up because these organizations were held under a microscope and mm. they had to show up in a very different way. And they realized, just like what we've been talking about since roundtable number one, put mm -hmm. people first. I mean, I know mm. we're, we're definitely talking from an executive assistant's point of view. And from that perspective, when I think about it, there's a light that's been shining on us in a different glow. And it is mm. up to us as executive assistants are we going to coast? Coasting is fine because we all need to feel that we can be people first. Coasting can't be coasting just for the sake of no one can see me in the office. Hence, I'm going to coast long and <laughs> get a suntan. Bad for you. Put on sunscreen. But what I'm to say here is that definitely were held to they will do a regard of such high integrity. And the ones who have them were able to break the trend of losing people because people wanted to leave a workplace that was so bad for us as humans. 100%. I think that speaks to, again, you know, who were the vulnerable populations? And the vulnerable populations were the people that were just enduring or putting up with a situation that was beneath them in whatever way, but in some way it wasn't working for them. Um, and yeah, and, and that tolerance is gone. So I, we've talked a lot about how this trend has impacted executive assistants and um, as well as, you know, some of these other kind of um, groups of, of the workforce being 
hospitality workers, restaurant workers, um, people like that. But Kristen, yes. there's also been a lot of visibility on how this trend has impacted at the executive level. And in fact, there was a piece that the New York Times put out recently talking about, hey, the great resignation isn't just for you know XYZ, it's also impacting the executive subset. And um, you know, they are at the end of the day, you know, um, vulnerable to the same kinds of sensitivities and um, and evaluations and taking stock that we are. So as somebody who works so closely with executives, how have you seen this um, affect that population of people? Well, to Rose's point, which is a great point, is that immediately uh, companies and executives were put under a microscope that became, that was like the light was shone on them very, very brightly, very quickly. Um, and they were held to, you know, to, to maybe slightly different standards of excellence that they had not been previously. Along with, um, I think, you know, for a lot of people, I, I have a lot of respect, obviously, for executives, um, but because it's a very hard job. And there's a lot of like, like layers to it that, uh, you know, a lot of us are not able to sometimes like see or completely understand. But now, you know, going through COVID and going through, you know, supply chain issues, um, attrition issues, there's, they're dealing with employees that may or may not have actually contracted COVID and gotten very, very sick. Um, you know, new initiatives like DEI initiatives that they are like moving, you know, hopefully very quickly on and, and, and putting things in place and, 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 trying to be better very quickly to keep, you know, to make their employees happier and to keep their employees as they are. Um, one of the things I, I remember, uh, you know, just even a few months ago that there was, um, uh, there was a, a, a thing in the news about like China kind of looking at, um, at, at Taiwan and, Taiwan has a huge semiconductor company that would truly affect like so many other companies in the world. And to think is like as an executive who's like dealing with all these other issues and then to be like, wow, if that happens, like we're all like, this is, this is, this is going to be something. So the level of stress, um, I think has must have been exceptionally like heightened. Um, and then they're human. So they've got families, they might have sick families, they might have, you know, I mean, a, a myriad of other issues that are, that are affecting just their personal lives. And I think, you know, the people that have really risen to the occasion, like I am truly in awe of, because as we're all taking on this, like, you know, like new world and new rules and new, um, you know, fear that we have, like with it, with, you know, a pandemic and, and just so much going on, they are, you know, they're our Ted Lasso. They are the one that's trying to keep the, the team together. And in then, you know, and Ted had everybody like on the field, right? Like, but he now like our executives have like 90% working from home. So it's a, this is a hard road. Um, so I can kind of see, you know, I, I, I have so much respect for the fact that like they've kind of pushed through and have, you know, gotten better and made adjustments and, and are constantly, you know, moving forward. But man, oh man, it's a lot. It's a lot. So I can see how some would say like, not it. I'm out. Yep. I'm gonna do something yeah. else. I'm going to go sell coconuts. Forget it. Yeah. Apparently a lot of us are going to go sell coconuts. Yep. <laughs> I'm going to rent And kayak. shaved ice. Yeah. Kayak That's me. I, I think there's a, yeah, there, there's, there's an angle here that needs to be explored. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're people. I think that you nailed it. Right. I mean, they're, they're vulnerable to a lot of the same, same, same things. And like you said, the intensity has been a lot. Um, and, you know, to also to call a spade a spade. I mean, they also are potentially people that may have amassed a certain level of success and wealth that means that they don't necessarily need to tolerate all of it anymore. Yeah. I saw I, a lot of that. Yeah. yeah. You saw that? Yeah. But I think and something to really lean into here is that you have to remember that just because someone has a higher rank or title than you, that like they're still a human. Like they still yeah. do all the things, you know, it's like that child's book, like everybody poops. Like you gotta remember <laughs> this. And executives are like they're just people like us. And I had great relationships with everyone I was supporting pre-pandemic. Like, you know, the only thing that changed is we didn't see each other. 
you know, to glance in the hall, like, you know, make a face like, oh, that meeting was a lot, you know, like that was gone. But then I got another side of like them being personable, just knowing like what their like wife was doing and like how their job, how they had to take on more because the wife's job was more important because they were like working for like a hospital. You know what I mean? So it humanized them even more for me. And I feel like I already had that like very chill, like human relationship. Like, you know, they're not a a demigod or anything like you know <laughs> like we work together and i can't be intimidated by you if yeah. i'm going to do my best work so i think seeing and having conversations with people that have left you know because it's like yeah they don't technically need to work anymore and realizing like the past two like the past two years if you were a head of a company or you like were a vp or a c-level of a business that was considered essential or a business that wasn't that like mm -hmm. lost its bottom line like neither is a winning scenario like no. oh yeah you're busy but it's like you're busy to a level that like you know you're having to homeschool your kids right most mm -hmm. likely you're not having help in the house because no one knew what covid was so it's like maybe you're not be able, being able to perform your best work, right? Because mm -hmm. you have children at home. Or it's like, damn, like all this income that I thought was going to be coming my way, my bonus, blah, blah, those aren't coming because our company has no money now because no one can be in the, like, you know what I mean? So again, they're humans just like us, but like their problems are kind of emphasized even more because of the level of where they stand in the organization. Mm -hmm. Low, that's, that's very insightful. Yeah. yeah. Sorry, at the very core of it all, regardless of how far and wide the ranges of our position are or as in wealth, the one thing that the last two years have shown us is really to look at our values. And people bond when they share a set of common values. And I think, I feel that if there is an upside, well, there is always an upside. One of the upsides of the self-reflection is that we all looked at values distantly from what we used to see them as, which was fame, fortune, and how fast can we grow a company? Now the set of values are definitely more human kind, and we share that, and we are now allowed generously to even say verbally that this is what's valuable. It is not looked upon as weakness to not, to not proclaim and not own that my set of values as a human comes first versus always about here's the drive for the business line. It can't be one or the other anymore. And as we were saying over and over again, the pandemic taught us. It mm -hmm. made us all very humble and curious about each other. We became caretakers of each other. Thinking about that that upside, that that silver lining, or I guess, the way that it's changed us um, to the point of how it's affecting our executives. There's one thing that being in the C-suite for, you know, 20 years taught me is it can be really lonely. Mm. You have to keep this persona up. You have to always have the right answer. Um, you need to have, uh, you're not human anymore. And as the executive assistant to the people who are supposed to be demigods, they're supposed to have all the answers. Mm -hmm. Um, that's really isolating too. There were mm -hmm. definitely times throughout my career where I felt like I couldn't share my experience because it would show vulnerability on my executive. It mm -hmm. would show vulnerability of what the company was going through. And you can't do that right before you're about to IPO, heaven forbid. And so there's so many things about that that almost felt it isolating that then you throw a pandemic on top of it where we literally were isolated that mm -hmm. that's what happened um that shift to actually being human and doesn't matter what level you're at you're going to speak your piece you're going to um not know what we're going to do we don't know when we're going back to the office we don't know when we're doing this we don't that realness i think came out of a lot of um executive offices and I appreciated it honestly it um I think were things that needed to be say said all along but there was a stigma against saying I don't have the answers but here's my plan and here's yeah. what the road we're going to go down and <laughs> if we mess up my executive assistant will fix it so yeah <laughs> isn't that the truth yeah I I think that, that there's there was um overall more of a receptivity to 
vulnerability and to people just being real and getting real and um and and that that goes with some of the the commentaries that you guys you know shared about people's kids you know bombarding and and just the realities of the day-to-day but i think in general everybody um everybody got a little bit more open with sharing some of that vulnerability sharing some of the the fear sharing some of the hardship um letting people know that 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 some of the things that we had to do and go through were devastating. They were hard. And I think some of that corporate mask or that executive mask that we have to don or, you know, and, and I say we, because all of us, you know, when you're supporting an executive, you, you're you donning the, the exact same mask, as you said so well, LJ. And I, I think that, you know, um, some of that facade was allowed to kind of um, mm-hmm. be tabled for a little bit or at least not as ironclad. Mm-hmm. And I saw it yeah. help many other executives. There was a sharing of best practices. There was a sharing of mm-hmm. new ideas. There was a share, it, it was a, almost a mind meld after we got used to it, where now we're building everybody else up because we can share this. So it became now a collective, I'm going to find the other people with this shared experience that can then help me because mm-hmm. I need help and you need help. And there's gotta be a way that we can do this together while we're apart. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So well said. You guys all have such such beautiful insights on this. Um, really, really appreciate it. Um, any other any other thoughts before we adjourn or close out? This is our time audience members. If there's anything that you would love to ask, any follow-up or clarification that you'd like to know of our roundtablers, um, please share in the chat below. Um, we already know what Kristen's last meal is going to be. Anybody else want to share what their last, I mean, fried chicken, come on, what size would you get with the fried chicken? Oh, uh, collard greens and coleslaw. And it would be from Lucy's fried chicken here in Austin. Okay. So you're taking me there. Is it, is it a vinegar coleslaw or is it a mayonnaise based coleslaw? Um, it is a mayonnaise based coleslaw with jalapenos in it. Oh, I it's love jalapeno. Yes. Field trip. So good. Yeah. Now you got me craving chicken and waffles. Yes. I know. I'm That's like, it's lunchtime and I'm, I'm racking my brain. I'm like, we're going to get fried chicken around here. Yes. I'm telling you. We, I think we go once a week now. That's where I'm just like, yeah, I'm like, screw it. I'm going to eat fried chicken as much as humanly possible now. <laughs> yeah, I'm doing That's my life change, guys. <laughs> <laughs> Learning to indulge, right? Exactly. And owning it. This is my happy place. I'm going to work hard, but I'm going to play hard. Man. Yeah. I feel like it's like the amount of like, like pure joy I feel for simple things now, or like what I get excited about. Like it really like made you like figure out how, like all the things, like when we were like stuck inside for months at a time, it's like, I realized like, what are the three things that truly give me joy? Going for walks, watching old episodes of Project Runway and reading business books from like the eighties. Maybe it's a more face mask, but other than that, like that was all, that's all yeah. I needed. Okay, not I'll to call, I'll number, call out there. How many, how many people it was the first time you ever considered what made you happy versus what made your executive happy. Yes. For me, this was a new thing. I'm like, well, I know all their favorites. I know exactly what mm. I'm going to book. I know where they're going to go. What's my favorite? What, what does make me happy? Mm-hmm. That was, that was a bomb. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. We do have a question. Um, it's a question from Angela Boltinghouse. Thanks, Angela. So I'm going to, I think what what she's, so her question is, what are some things that EAs who are interviewing should um, keep in mind or or, or what are acceptable things to ask for or expect? So I'm going to assume that Angela's maybe um, like many kind of evaluating where she's at and and what she's wanting um, going forward. And so she's wanting to inquire what's okay to expect or ask for in this sort of new world order. And I hope I interpreted your question correctly, but that's what we're going with. I feel like everyone here is going to have such a different answer. (laughs) So I'll start. 
Um, for me, comp is everything because I know what I go into a role with. I know how I show up. So it needs to, I need to know that like, you know, the time we're going to be spending is actually something that's going to qualify within what I expect to earn. So for me, and sometimes this doesn't always sit off well with recruiters. It'll be like, oh, let's get a call on. But I've been on so many calls where it's like, you know, I have the 15, 20 minutes and then we discuss comp and it's like, this is 40K lower than I would take. Mm-hmm. No, like it's so then it's like I didn't, it wasn't a waste of time because, you know, you can network, mm-hmm. but it wasn't a good utilization of my time for me. You know, it's like, oh, this is great. Maybe we could pass this on to somebody that's more junior or something. So I think, you know, if you have the flexibility and the confidence to have that discussion, and mm-hmm. I would, you know, talk about comp ranges, you know, mm-hmm. what are the ranges for the role that I'm? Um, applying for. Another thing that I think is really important for us seasoned EAs is to understand the leveling of a company. Mm. <laughs> because, um, you know, every year when we come around this time of, you know, promotions and such, and it's like, oh, wait, 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 this is where I came, this is where I came in? Oh, well, did we, oh, oh, we have new levels. Oh, oh you know, so Understanding that thing, those things, I think for like a, a seasoned DA that it's like, hey, you know, my time needs to be spent doing like what I want to do and I expect to be compensated and I expect to be leveled at the level that I deserve to be at. So for me, those are my two non-negotiables right off the bat. It can be a lot. So, you know, make sure you're comfortable doing that. If you're not comfortable, do it. Don't. Because then they could also use that. They can they can swindle that conversation around really quick. Mm-hmm. Next thing you know, you're taking a job that's 30K less than you wanted to be. So, Well, we have a podcast coming up in the next couple of weeks about how to negotiate effectively as women and as executive assistants. So FYI, Work look out for that one. Yeah, thank you. I mean, agency. she said it. Yeah. <laughs> but I'll go ahead and touche that comment. Um, who else has some thoughts for Angela on what's okay to, to ask for or expect? Well, reading between the lines on that, and this is a place that I came from for many years, is okay? Okay for who? And that's that I'm asking permission to then negotiate. I'm asking permission to have confidence. I want to know that other people have done it first because then maybe that'll give me confidence. So what Lo said is huge. You need to know what your buttons are. You need to know what is going to be a game changer for you. And for some, it's compensation. For others, it's time off. For others, it's um, being able to work from home. What are the things that you value? And being able to stand up tall. I can't wait to listen to the podcast, by the way, Jessica. This is such an important topic right now, which is the maybe you know now what you need. How do you stand up and ask for it? Mm -hmm. And the answer is a lot of us haven't been taught. You've been Mm -hmm. taught to... Um, it's other people's needs come first. And that's what we do. We're service oriented. This is, it's beautiful. It's what I love. But when it comes time to have your needs met, how do you even start? Didn't know for many years. And so that's a longer conversation to podcast Mm -hmm. here. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yep. But so I I, I couldn't agree with you more. Such an important thing, like learning, learning to find that voice and and to find comfort in, identifying with that, that voice. Um, I also ask, yes. I also ask what was the situation as far as how was the search even started? Where was the previous executive assistant or where is that executive assistant going? Why are you looking? Cause that will tell you a little bit more and a lot more of uh, a storytelling might come out from there. You can also get a good sense of why is the job open? It might be a good thing that it's open. The previous assistant became chief of staff, or it might not be a good story. And not everyone will disclose so much on the first call. So ask in many different ways. Also, I ask for meeting the direct reports of whoever the executive is. Mm-hmm. Because you can learn a lot from the people who circle that office. Yeah. Is there anything that you all think is unreasonable to expect in this kind of new climate that we're in? A swift decision. 
is unrealistic to expect. Mm -hmm. It also tells me they're not thinking hard and long about your candidacy and others. I would like to think that they don't just pick the first one they meet with. Mm-hmm. Um, we have one final question and then we're, we're pretty much at time, but um, Christina Martinez, and I'm, I'm going to um, infer that she's maybe early, a little bit earlier in her career than, than some of our roundtablers, but she's asking, what advice do you have for relatively newer EAs or more junior EAs who are, maybe thinking about supporting at the C-level, but are a little bit hesitant or unsure um, that they're ready for it. I guess the advice would be, how do you get ready for it? And are there any maybe resources or suggestions that you would have for someone um, who wants to cross into that next realm? There's Can so many things about that question. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, the the one minute version. (laughs) The short, short answer is my very first job, I got thrown into um, assistant to the CEO. And it was a learning curve like this. And Mm -hmm. it was intense. And it was a lot of mistakes. And every day, learning a gazillion things new. Mm -hmm. So whether you're ready for it or not really isn't in the question. The question is whether you want it. Is this particular person someone you want to work for? And is it in a role, depending on which part of the org they're in, that you want to work for? If it's a founder to a new startup, Mm -hmm. is that where you want to be? It all goes back to what is the job and who is the person? Mm -hmm. And if that fits with you, it doesn't matter what level they're at, it will work and you will learn what you are there to learn. And unfortunately, like, you know, we all work with HR and recruiting and there's people that get passed over day after day just because it's not like, you know, Google, Apple, it's not like the right companies. So that's when, and it's not the right companies, but you know, historic companies that make it easy for it to be like, oh, like they came from MIT, like engineering, great. Like we get to hire Mm -hmm. them. So if you don't have a traditional or a classic socially traditional background, right? You just got to know who you are as a person and know the personality, what um, LJ was saying, who you want to work with. Because when people meet and they like each other, like everything goes into motion based on the kind of interactions that you're going to have with your teammate, with your executive. So Mm -hmm. if you have somebody, I've said this before, if they see your light and they are not trying to dim it, right? If they see what you bring to the table and you don't have to justify that and prove it time and time again, then you're in the right space and things are gonna organically happen as long as you're showing up. But if you notice that, hey, like I am getting a lot of doubtful hints from people, like I'm not getting the support that I need, right? That can start to make you feel very isolated and then that's when mistakes happen. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, we sometimes get in these scenarios and like, again, what LJ was saying, like, you have to be, you have to fail once in order, like, I'm not going back there again. And like, I know the signs when things start to go like this, this is when, you know, I need to A, like do a self audit, reassess, like, what could I do better to show up? Or I need to start looking at my other options somewhere that appreciates what I do. Because at the end of the day, if they don't see what you bring to the table, there's no use trying to show them again and again, and continuing to beat yourself up over that. I love every word that just came out of your mouth. Yes. <laughs> every last word. That is so perfect. Oh my gosh. Wow. Perfect. All of that. All of that. Yep. Lowe's low, low, on fire today. Oh. You yourself. So good. So good. Right? Yeah. 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 And is anybody ever 100% ready for anything that they do that involves taking it to the next level, right? I mean, I, I think that there's there's preparation and there's learning and there's training, but at the end of the day, it's that it's that make it or break it moment. It's that moment that you described, LJ, where it was like, okay, this is the job, you know, it's it's go time. And I think it, it really, it, it does, it comes down to your character, it comes down to your resolve, it comes down to your commitment, it comes down to your tenacity. Um, that's just, you know, that's, that's, that's you. And I just actually. What's the fact that when you stop. That. Go ahead. 
the fact that when you feel like you have learned everything, that is actually the worst position to be in. Mm-hmm. I would like to think any one of us here never ever feel like we know everything. And if you feel that way, you need to reassess what it is that you think you know. Because that is the end of your your growth if you feel like mm-hmm. you know it all. Very true. Well, thank you everybody and thank you roundtablers for um, generously going over time a little bit, but I'm sure our audience really appreciated hearing your answers to those questions. Um, uh, you guys are awesome. I love these sessions that we get to do. <laughs> we just get Same. to dish it out and and you know and riff and have fun with it. <clears throat> so thank you as always for for joining me, joining us, people, audience members. I mean, I, I think if anything, we've heard today that there's a lot of ways to skin a cat. There's a lot of ways to reinvent. There's a lot of ways to exist, and a lot of it is driven by you really owning and identifying what your terms are and what you want, and then setting a course to go and find that. So I think if anything, you've heard a lot of different versions of what your great resettling or great reimagining, right? Doesn't need to be the great resignation. Let's call it the great reimagining guys. Um, and, and if you're wanting to do that, I mean, as always, like we welcome you to reach out and connect and talk to us, talk to others. Um, but you know, we, we have a really incredible pulse on what's out there and what's available. So definitely reach out and, and connect. Thank you, everyone. Have a great rest of your day. Bye. Bye. Thank you, Jessica. Thanks, everybody. Thank you. Reach is brought to you by Maven Recruiting Group, who specializes in placing executive assistants and support staff to the Bay Area's most prominent executives and companies. If you've enjoyed being part of our podcast community and are interested in becoming part of our candidate community, we're currently hiring for roles in San Francisco, Silicon Valley, and Los Angeles. You can visit us at www.mavenrec.com to see some of the roles we're currently working on and to submit your resume.